Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. If you're into titles for messages as I am, the title of my message this morning is this, Skin in the Game. Say Skin in the Game. I don't know how familiar you are with that saying. Maybe if you're my generation, you would understand it. Maybe if you're a little bit younger, you you may not understand that. I asked my 16-year-old daughter, have you ever heard the phrase skin in the game? And she looked at me like, huh? So if you don't know what skin in the game means, let me explain it to you this way. To have skin in the game means that you have an active interest in the success of something. If it fails, it affects you personally in some way. Skin in the game. Skin in the game speaks of love. It speaks of a mother who gets up at an ungodly hour in the morning to nurse a baby. Skin in the game. Skin in the game speaks of cost. It speaks of that student who not only goes to university and does the hard work, but they pay for university themselves. That's skin in the game. It speaks of ownership. A person who buys a home and no longer rents. They have a mortgage. That's skin in the game. It speaks of a stakeholder, a worker who has shares in the company. They're no longer just working for the company. If the company suffers, they suffer. That's skin in the game. It speaks of risk. It speaks of the aircraft engineer who will be the first one on the first test flight. That's skin in the game. It speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of a fireman who runs into a burning building to save others. My friends, that is skin in the game. Do we understand what skin in the game means right now? Whether you're older or whether you are younger, hopefully we understand the meaning of skin in the game. And for me, the greatest example of skin in the game is the Easter story. It's a story that not only has all of the above examples in it, but so much more. And it's a story that goes back to the beginning of time. As we heard on Friday, reading from John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And if you jump to verse 14 of the same chapter, It says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So much to unpack in that portion alone, but we've got a lot to get through this morning. But can I just highlight a few things from what we've just read? And that is firstly, It says, in the beginning. I think the beginning is the best place to start in anything in life. I remember many, many years ago, Kath and I wanted to go to a movie and we were desperately set on doing it, but we got to the movie late. But because our heart was set on going to the movie, we thought, "Ah, let's just do it anyway. And this is a long time ago. I don't know if you remember the film Swordfish. So you're talking 2001, somewhere around there. 
And we just said, you know what, heck, to heck with it, let's just go. We're probably about 25 minutes into the film already. Not the best idea. And Kath and I are watching this film and we were asking ourselves, what's going on? Who's that? What is it? Who's that? Why is that? Because we missed the beginning. And when you miss the beginning of something, you're left with assumption. You're left with a whole heap of guesswork. And to be honest, it interrupted what we were actually watching. So we pretty much missed the whole film because we missed the beginning. The beginning is always the best place to start. And it says, in the beginning, the Word became flesh. This is speaking of Jesus now. It's speaking of Jesus leaving the splendour of heaven and He came to planet Earth. In other words, He came down to our level. Not only did Jesus put Himself in our shoes, guess what? He put Himself in our skin. He took on humanity. And I love this thought because the difference for me between Christianity and all the other religions that are out there, religion is about you trying to do something to get to God. Christianity will have none of that. Christianity is about God coming to us. Religion is about us trying to get to God. Christianity is about God coming to us in the flesh. Love that thought. In the beginning, the Word became flesh and it goes on to say, He made His dwelling amongst us. In other words, He lived amongst us. In other words, He faced what we face. See, God knows what it is to be human. God knows what it is to be going through what we go through. He was the God-man. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Never before, never since in human history did God enter the world in such a manner and such a way. He was tempted he was tested in every way. If you're going through a tough time, a tough moment, a tough season, He understands because He went through tough times. He went through tough moments. He went through tough seasons and He endured them all and He never sinned, which separates Him from everyone else who's ever walked this earth. He not only was tempted and tested like us, but He never succumbed to the temptations. And for the first time in human history, we got to see, humanity got to see what God was like. For the first time in human history, God, uh, humanity got to see the character and the nature of what God was like. He modelled what you do when you're frustrated. He modelled what you do when you're angry. He modelled what you do when you're sad. And for the first time in human history, we had our model of what God looks like. And he lived for some 33 years. And at the age of 33, he was arrested and he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. On what charge? The charge of blasphemy. He was bold enough to declare that he was only a good man, he was a God man and the religious hierarchy did not like that. And they stirred up trouble for Jesus and had him arrested. And not only was he arrested, but after being arrested and charged with blasphemy, the religious hierarchy and the authorities that be made sure he not only died, but he suffered. 
And today, with the help of Dr. C. Truman Davis, I wanna give some insight into what Jesus endured in the last few hours of his life. You see, after he was arrested, Jesus was blindfolded and mocked. He was struck with fists and he was beaten up by the guards. Having endured this beating, he was then flogged. He was stripped of his clothing, tied to a post with his hands above his head. A flagrum, which is a leather whip with small beads of lead attached to each strap was whipped across his shoulders, his back, his legs. At first, the weighted throngs were only skin deep. Then as the blows continued, they cut deeper into the tissues, producing first an oozing flow of blood from the capillaries and the veins of the skin. Then spurting arterial bleeding began from the vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls caused great bruising to his skin. Finally, the skin on the back was hanging like long ribbons. A total mass of unrecognisable torn tissue. And only when a prisoner was near death did they stop the flogging. After the flogging, Jesus was then mocked. The Roman soldiers got in on the act with the claims that he claimed to be some sort of king. And so they put a robe on him. They put a stick in his hand as a scepter. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they continued to hit him, thus driving the thorns further into his skull. When tiring of this, they tore his robe from his body, now stuck to him by the weeping flesh. Then Jesus was made to carry his cross. The cross was about 150 pounds and he was forced to carry that on a journey 650 yards long across the Via Della Rosa to Golgotha. During that journey, Jesus was now far too weak and he stumbled. One of the onlookers, Simon of Serene, was told to carry the cross. When Jesus arrived at Golgotha, he was offered wine mixed with myrrh, which is an analgesic, a pain relieving mixture. He declined the drink. He wanted to be fully focused, fully present for the moment. Jesus was then nailed to the cross. Wrought iron spikes went through each wrist. Then the left foot was placed on top of the right foot and they were nailed together. Jesus was now crucified. And as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers 
and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is a searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of the feet. At this point, as his arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over his muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging up by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralysed and the intercolostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but he cannot exhale. Jesus fights to raise, raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Jesus is now moments away from death. The common method of ending crucifixion was to break the legs of the victims, thus preventing the victim pushing up from his legs, making breathing impossible, highlighting that it was suffocation that was the usual cause of death by crucifixion. Jesus' bones, however, were never broken. Why? Because he was already dead. To be sure of his death, the soldiers would pierce a spear into each victim. It went through the fifth interspace between the ribs, upward through the periocardium and into the heart. When they pierced the side of Jesus, John's Gospel records that blood and water flowed. That is that there was an escape of water fluid from the sac surrounding the heart giving post-mortem evidence that Jesus died not of suffocation, the usual cause of death by crucifixion, but of heart failure due, due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the periocardium. In short, Jesus died of a broken heart. Talk about skin in the game. But this is not where the story ends. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, which was a surprise to everyone, including the disciples themselves. And in Luke's Gospel, it records two such disciples having a conversation post-resurrection on the road to Emmaus. What will you do when you get home? Mm, I can't decide. 
might try and buy back my business, but I don't think I can set foot in a boat again anytime soon. So you're just gonna wallow in self-pity for a while then, are you? <sighs> what are you gonna do? Well, I don't know either. Do you want to talk about it? I was a coward. You're not a coward. He loved you, you know that. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Cleopas, there's nothing you could have done. He didn't fight. He didn't say a word. Okay, he could have easily justified himself in that courtroom and he just let it happen. Did he give up? Was he just tired of it all? He didn't strike me that way. Yeah, well, what was he playing at then? Because it got him killed. Do you need to take a minute to rest? No, I'm fine. Afternoon, friends. Could I trouble you for something to drink? Or perhaps something to eat if you have spare? There's not much, but you're welcome to it. Thank you. I'm very thirsty. My name's Joanna, and this is my brother Cleopas. Shalom, Joanna. Cleopas. Are you traveling from Jerusalem? Me too. Can I ask, is something troubling you? Are you the only person that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem last week? Cleopas? Please, tell me what happened. You've never heard of Jesus from Nazareth. The prophet who did powerful miracles. He was an amazing teacher. No one taught the scriptures like he did. With authority and true understanding. He sounds very impressive. But he wasn't. I mean, he was, but he didn't try to be. He just had this way about him. It was the way that he looked into your eyes. Yeah, the way he looked at you. And he sort of hugged you in a way that only a brother or a father could. What happened to him? The priests handed him over to Rome to be condemned to death. And they crucified him for claiming to be God. That is quite the claim. Sorry to hear it. We'd really hoped that he was the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. Some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb earlier this morning and they said that his body was missing and that angels told them that he was alive. <laughs> Two more of our friends went there to see and, and sure enough, his body was gone. It was just as the women had said. Do you think it could be true what the women said? I don't know, maybe. He was known for doing crazy things. It's so hard to believe what the prophets wrote in the scriptures. That a Messiah would have to suffer the things you mentioned before entering his glory. Take Isaiah, for example. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, but he will bear all their sins. Now, you mentioned something to eat. Was there some bread? We didn't. Sure. Thank you. 
Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread to the earth. We thank you for what you've provided for us. Jesus! Cleopas. <laughs> <laughs> He's alive! <laughs> <laughs> You know, as strange as the resurrection story may sound, there's a lot of evidence to prove that the resurrection story is indeed true. Post-resurrection, Jesus was cited, according to Scripture, on over 11 different occasions. He was cited by over 500 plus people both believers and unbelievers. And before He went and ascended back into heaven, many people gave their life to Christ, recognising He is who He said He is based on evidential, uh, uh, evidence of the resurrection. Because of the strong evidence of the empty tomb, most recent scholars don't deny it. John Singleton Copley, he's one who's recognised as one of the greatest legal minds in British history, says, I know pretty well what evidence is. And I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection has never been broken down yet. Lord Caldecott, Chief Justice of England, says, he observed that an overwhelming case for the resurrection could be made merely as a matter of strict evidence and that His resurrection has led me as often as I have tried to examine the evidence to believe it is as a fact beyond dispute. And D. H. Veldalen said this, it is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological and philosophical assumptions. I don't have time to go into all the evidence, but there's so much evidence for the resurrection, as I've already mentioned. So much proof that the resurrection actually happened. But my question this morning is this, what does the resurrection prove? What does the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for us? Here's a few thoughts for us this morning. The first one is simply this, that it's His skin for our sin. You see, the reason Jesus came is because He loves us and He wants to be with us. Do you know, our son Mitch is getting married at the end of this month on the 28th of April and we're gonna spend a lot of money to fly to a part of the world we do not live so that we can be with Him. Do you know there are a lot of people around the world getting married and I don't even think about going to their wedding. But the reason I wanna go and be with Mitch is because I love him. And I wouldn't miss that day for the world. I would pay whatever the cost to be with him on that very special day. Why? Because I love him to bits. He'll always be Mitchy Titch to me. Love Him. He's my Son. He's actually like Jesus. He's my one and only Son. His name, Mitchell, means like God. 
So he's like God as well. And he's also here, there and everywhere. So he's like the Holy Spirit. He's, he's that kid and I love him and I wanna be with him. Why? Because I love him. And each action of God that we read in Scripture is motivated out of a deep love for humanity. That being said, our sin caused a breakdown in our relationships. Do you know God's love is unconditional, but relationships are not. Relationships for them to work has conditions. You you can love someone, but it doesn't mean you'll be in a relationship because relationships has condition, but you can love someone unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. But because of our sin, there was a separation in the relationship and we were helpless to do anything about it. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And before you arc up or argue that point, I know that to be true because most of us don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's holy standard. All of us have been let down by people and all of us have let ourselves down. Many of you made a New Year's resolution on January 1 and you let yourself down by January 2 because you ate that donut, you didn't go to the gym or you didn't do this or you didn't do that and you found yourself drinking again, you found yourself smoking again and you didn't live up to your own expectations, let alone God's holy expectation, God's holy standard. We've all sinned and that sin put a divide and a separation in between us and God and that broke God's heart. Just like it would break my heart if Mitch said, I don't want you to come in to my wedding. I'd be, ouch. And it was sin that needed to be dealt with. And we were incapable of helping ourselves. Much like a newborn baby is incapable of helping themselves. And that's where mum steps in. And when we were incapable of helping ourselves, that's when Jesus stepped in. He left the splendour of heaven, came to planet Earth. Why? Because we needed help. We all needed help. I needed as much help as anyone else in this room, if not more help than any of you. And I'm so glad that Jesus stepped in. Just as I'm glad that my mum stepped in when I was incapable of feeding myself as a newborn babe. And a divine transaction took place. His skin for my sin. Romans chapter eight, uh, 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Unlike religion that says you've got to tidy your act up before you can come to God, Christianity says, I'll take you as you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm madly and passionately in love with you and I'll just take you as you are. Yeah. One of the greatest examples of that is what took place on the day Jesus was on the cross because Jesus was not crucified alone. He had two people, one to His right and one to His left that He was crucified with. And one of the thieves next to Him mocked Him and said, save us, get us down from here. But one of them looked at Jesus, said, forgive me. Accept me. He recognised that Jesus was no ordinary man and he surrendered his life to Jesus. This man on the cross didn't have any time to go to church, didn't have time to get baptised, didn't have time to get his life right, 
didn't have time to go and confess his sins. He didn't have time to go and make the apologies that were needed. He had moments of life left. And without changing anything, without doing anything, without tithing, going to church, apologising, nothing, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today and for every day since that day, this thief on the cross has been in the presence of Jesus, fully saved, fully healed. No sickness, no poverty, but living in the perfect plan of God. Not because of what He did, but because who He looked to. Not because of what He did, but because who He gave His life to. Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with a person and that person has a name and His name is Jesus. And Jesus left the splendour of heaven, came to planet Earth, laid down His life because He's madly and passionately in love with you and you and you and you and you, all of us, all of humanity for all time. The other thief could have accepted the same offer, but his pride wouldn't allow it. The first thing we see from this thought today is that it was His skin for our sin. Secondly, His skin for peace within. When Jesus died, the disciples were deeply upset. Do you know why? Because it wasn't part of their plan. When Jesus rose again, the religious people were upset. Do you know why? Because it wasn't part of their plan. But it was all part of God's plan. The plan of Jesus coming was to die. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to lay down His life as a ransom for many. And that many includes us here today. He was in complete control. Proverbs 16 verse 33 says, We may make our plans, but God has the last word. All you Enneagram ones out there, all you got to have your ducks in a row people out there, all you who just must have it your way out there, know this, that God has the last word. You see, all of life's major decisions are out of our control. The day we were born and where we were born, out of our control. Who our parents were, out of our control. The colour of our skin, crystal, out of our control. Your talents and your gifts, out of our control. I mentioned Mitchell being in New Zealand, about to get married. When Mitch was born, he was born without fingers on, our hand, on his left hand, out of our control. You can't change the past, you can't predict the future. No matter how much you try, you can't slow down time, you can't speed it up. You can't make people understand you. You can't make people love you. Believe me, I've tried. You can't stop loved ones dying. And this lack of control is what causes stress. 
And if we were to get honest with ourselves this morning, I think we could all agree on one thing, we're all control freaks. But that's okay. But the trouble is stress is the result of trying to control the uncontrollable. And the only thing we can control is our response. God, on the other hand, is in in complete control. He's in control of everything. Why? Because He made everything. He has absolute power and can do absolutely anything He wants. So how does that help us? That's a great question. He wants to help us manage the unmanageable. He wants to give you His power to manage your present. The very same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 said, God's great power is available to help us who believe in Him. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. But in order for that to be enacted in our life, we must respond. That's the only thing that's in our control. The price of petrol, not in our control. Interest rates, not in our control. Our response is in our control. And so we must bring our problems to Him. And thankfully, there's a daily invitation to come to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, worn out, tired, anxious, depressed, suicidal, sad, mad. Come to me. I'll give you rest. It's easy to come to Him when you know He's in control. This is the good news of Resurrection Sunday. Which brings me to my third and final point. And that is that it's His skin for our win. See, Jesus spoke about His resurrection before it happened. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, I came to earth to die on the cross for the sins of people. And then I'm gonna be raised back three days later. He told the world He would come. He told the world He would die. He told the world He would be raised again on the third day. And on that third day, He showed Himself and proved He is who He said He always was. Anyone can make claims, but to back it up with the evidence, thus proving He is who He said He is. See, God always makes good on His promises. The Old Testament is filled with promises about this coming Messiah, where He'd be born, how He would live, the fact that He would die and suffer for many. And they all came to pass. Even down to the smallest detail. Do you know the rooster crowing when Peter denied Jesus was prophesied and written in the Scriptures many years before that? When Jesus hung on the cross, 
and they cast lots for His clothing. That was prophesied about hundreds of years before. See, God's interested in the detail. He's interested in your life and all of its intricacies. When they went to break Jesus' bones of His legs, but they didn't because He was already dead, they didn't need to break the bones, thus fulfilling Scripture. Because not one bone would be broken in His body. God is into the detail. Numbers 23 verse 19 said, God isn't like people. He doesn't change His mind. When He says something, He does it. And when He makes a promise, He keeps it. Do you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible for you? And He will keep every one of them. If He did it then, the good news is He'll do it again. He spoke about His death. He spoke about His burial. He spoke about His resurrection and it all came to pass. But He also spoke about a second coming. And if everything He said has come to pass, we have no reason not to believe that what He said about the future events will come. I don't know when, I don't know how. I just know like I know, like I know that sometime into the future, He will come back and He will not come back as a babe in a manger. He will come back as a lion. He will come back on a white horse with legions of angels, with all the saints that have gone before us and He will rally His church and we will have a new eternity together. And nothing will stop Him. Like on that day, some 2,000 years ago, no government or religious leader had the power to stop Him. They tried to trap Him. They lied about Him. They falsely accused Him and they beat Him. They mocked Him. They crucified Him and they killed Him. They buried Him. They placed a large stone over the entrance and they sealed it, they guarded it. But church, listen to me and listen to me good. But then came the morning that sealed the promise and the buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no hold on me. Come on, let's sing and worship together.
is not the death of Jesus. Easter is in fact the death of death itself. The resurrection of Jesus took away the sting of death. You ask most people what they're afraid of. They might say public speaking. They might say heights. They may say spiders. They may say the colour yellow happens. Weird, I know. But all of those, for the most part, are a poor second to this one, fear of death. And Jesus said, you need not fear death because I hold death in my hand. I defeated it once and for all that you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you when you die. He wants to give you that inner peace, that inner confidence that for us to leave this earth, though missed by family members and friends, for the believer, for the one who has surrendered their life to Jesus and acknowledged Him as Lord, it's to be with Him in heaven. In actual fact, from heaven's perspective, when a Christian leaves heaven and goes to heaven, it's like a homecoming. And if you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that sense of conviction, that can change based on a decision you are prepared to make today or not. Because as I said before, the only thing that's really in our control is your response. And you know what? With all the good production, with the great music, you can't be manipulated into making a decision. We wouldn't want to insult you. But perhaps today, you just feel moved. You feel enlightened you feel made aware of a decision that you need to make. And it would be amiss of me not to give that opportunity for you to respond right here, right now. Oh, you may be able to do it tomorrow, the next day, the next week, but the reality is all of that's out of our control because we don't know if we've got tomorrow, next week or next month. All we know is we've got right here, right now. 
And if you don't have any assurance of your future that I've discussed, that I've talked about, you've never committed your life to Christ, or maybe that relationship you once had with Him has waned. Maybe there's been things that have got in the way of your relationship with Him and you find yourself like that prodigal son that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 15 and you find yourself away from Him. Well, I would encourage you to don't stay outside any longer. Be like the prodigal son and turn around and come home. May this be your homecoming right here, right now. And so as every eye is closed in this place, I'd count it an honour and a privilege to pray with those who are really willing and ready to respond to Him today. And so if you've never responded to Jesus, you've never opened your life up to Him, you've never surrendered your life to Him, or like the prodigal son, you've walked away and wanna come back home today. As every eye has closed this place, can you just raise your hand very quickly? I'd love to know who you are. God bless you, I see your hand. Yeah, any, any others right now? We're saying yes to Jesus. This is a special moment. This is a precious moment. We're not saying yes to this church. You're not saying yes to me. At the back there, God bless you. We're saying yes to Jesus. We're saying yes to Him as not only Saviour, but as Lord of our lives. Are there others here today? We're saying yes to Jesus or maybe just coming home today. It's fantastic. I appreciate those hands. That, yeah, over the back there. Yep, yeah, God bless you. That's awesome to my right. Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you guys. That's fantastic. Any others today? Let's wait another moment or two. We're saying yes to Jesus. Just a moment. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer that I'm about to pray. And I'm going to ask if we as a church family could pray this prayer along with those who are praying it, either for the first time or coming back home today. And so you're ready to pray? Let's do this with, a, with some passion. Let's do this with some volume in our voice today. Jesus, I thank You for loving me. I thank You for dying for my sins. I desire to know You more. I open my heart to You. I surrender to You. Forgive me of all of my sins. Show me Your ways. Help me to live for You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for those responding. God bless you guys. So good. It's just awesome. Of course, what's a decision without a next step? We would love to celebrate this decision that you've made today with a next step of placing a Bible in your hands. The Bible contains God's Word, His will and His ways. And it's a primary way in which He speaks to us and it's a primary way in which He makes Himself known to us. And so if you raised your hand this morning, or even if you didn't, but you wanted to, that's okay, it's not too late. Make yourself known either in the welcome lounge or at the information desk and make sure you grab a Bible because we believe that consuming the Word of God is paramount to making good on the decision that you've made. Amen. God bless you guys. Come on, one more time. Let's put our hands together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.